Hello, everyone listening to Tonko Cast.、Uh, my name is Sarah Sampson. I'm a producer at Tonko House, and I'm here with the amazing Emmy Award winning production designer, Celine d e b r u m o l Hi, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Woo, Thank you, Tonko House. <laughs> Welcoming me, me and my French accent. It's perfect. It's perfect. So, this is actually, I believe, the first、uh, shelter in place Tonko Cast interview that we're doing right now. So, Celine and I are talking through Zoom. Yeah.、Um, so, just so our audience is up to speed, Celine, you've worked on some pretty incredible projects.、Uh, you've been the production designer on features like The Little Prince, Sergeant Stubby. You were the production designer on Age of Sail, which was a, a VR experience slash 2D theatrical short film. Uh, you worked on Back to the Moon, just to name a few, and you're currently working on Glenn Keane's. Over the moon. What a resume. I feel like I'm like eight years old now. <laughs> But you're not. You're so freaking young. And just to look at everything that you've done, you are such an inspiration. And I just want to say here at Tonko, we are big, big fans of everything that you've done. Thank you, Sarah. It's like, I was like, that's a lifetime achievement for me to talk to Tonko House. I feel like that every artist and painter are just looking at.、Uh, Instagram of Tonko, or just like seeking to have any news or update of upcoming、um, movies or series. So, thank you for like taking the time. Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure、um, for sure. So, Celine, you and I we first met working on Age of Sail, actually.、Um, I believe we both kind of met the amazing duo that is Jenny Rim and John Cars about the same time. and Since then, I feel like both of our lives have kind of changed <laughs> from that point. They actually adopted me. They are my parents now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, we've just been on such an incredible journey since then. And I re- actually remember the first time I met you in person, you flew to California to Google Spotlight Stories.、Um, you rolled up with Kevin Dart from Chromosphere. And I believe you were a little car sick when I first met you. It's <laughs> <laughs> just to break the magic of the American dream. I was so car sick. I,、um, I was like living in,、uh, in Montreal at that time. And I think like in a week,、uh, we did the interview and、uh, I flew to,、uh, to the Bay to go to Google. And I had like a. Eyes ache like a migraine, and when I woke up, I was in the same hotel as、uh, Kevin and Teresa, and、uh, we were supposed to take a lift. And、uh, it was pretty awful. And、uh, as soon as the car stopped, I was like, Can I exit the vehicle? <laughs> I wanted to throw up so badly. And、uh, <laughs> welcome to America. <laughs> And、uh, the funny thing was, like,、uh, Kevin was like,、eh, dude, don't worry, because he was like a production designer on the previous commercial with John, and they had to do a research trip in Detroit and Chicago. And Kevin was, I, I guess it was like food poisoning. So he was like so sick and so bad at that time that actually shortened the research trip and went back to,、uh, to LA. So he was Trying to like say, don't worry, just like a curse. Every production designer of John are getting sick on day one. <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, I'm glad that you quickly recovered. I think we may have you know, had sushi that night to celebrate your arrival. I don't, I don't remember、um, if it was that night, but man, it was such an incredible experience working with you on Age of Sales, Celine. I mean, not only are you insanely talented and you bring this fresh perspective, but you actually. Or just a joy to work with. You know, you really went out of your way to meet and get to know everyone on the team. And that I will always remember. So thank you for, for just making it fun. <laughs> I mean, it was a fun project, but I feel like it was also one of the best ones, creatively speaking, in my career. Because there was a lot of、uh, constraints. It's a VR. So there's a bunch of stuff that you can't do. Um, every time that you can cheat something in features or in short movie in VR, you need, it needs to work all together with just like one camera. And、um, with the, I think that the constraint of the techniques,、uh, the need to be able to be seen on the phone, so it can't be like heavy. 
um, it definitely challenged all of us. John for the story and the chromosphere and I for the art side and the visual. Um, but I, I'm like, yes, that's like the first time, I don't know if you remember, but like the first time that we put some light in the proof of concept, it was a loop animation of 20 seconds of the boats just like rolling on the waves. And um, even if we were all working remotely, we could feel on the Slack channel, everybody was like, oh my God, <laughs> it will be awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah, that was like the breakthrough moment. And I was really excited when we were finally able to experience it in VR and not get seasick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was an amazing milestone. Um, I just remember, you know, before I even met you, Celine, John was going on and on about a film that you directed called Countdown. And for everyone who's listening right now, if you haven't seen it, please drop everything after this interview and, and watch it. Um, it's truly a masterpiece of design and composition. Um, so when you agreed to, you know, join Adrisel, we were all really excited. And I was really excited to work with John. I've... I was in Paris when it's like it's kind of this like weird uh, story where after Age of Sale you just like exchange uh, stuff and I was like oh my god I was in Paris when Pepperman was out and you were with Jeff um, at Forum des Images and you were doing like talk about how you achieve Pepperman and I was thinking oh my god it would be so cool if one day I can work with this guy or I feel like that he was thinking differently trying to do something outside the box which I think we tried to do in Edge of Sail, and we did in a way. And uh, he was telling me, oh my God, when I saw Countdown at that time, I just wanted to work with that person. And I felt like I didn't even knew you knew that you were aware of that short movie, because I really, I think it can, um, like this short movie happened in 2008. Um, I was just graduate, graduated from my school. I moved to London. And there was the um, economic crisis in 2008. So I feel like it can be related to the COVID nowadays situation because we arrived, there was work, and finally, well, there was no more work. So there was a ton of um, students that moved to London or to Paris um, seeking for like starting their professional life and the budget were cutting by half or two-thirds. Um, so they were just keeping the... People were like long term uh, in the company, so I, I was like unemployed for a couple of months. I, I was living with ten pounds a day, so it was like it was awful. <laughs> I was uh, sharing my uh, my room with a friend, and uh, I was like, so what should I? I mean, I wanted to be productive and do something, and uh, I was like try to maintain my uh, mental health and sanity. So I thought like, oh, let's do a project. And I, it's how I started Countdown. So it was, I didn't really want to do um, something big. It just like started with a couple of images and little by little it just like grew up. And it took me two years to uh, achieve it, to finish it. And uh, when it has been released on the internet, it, it had a, a really big success at the time in uh, 2011. It's now like... Nowadays, where everything gets big in a in a jiffy, at that time you needed to send your video to some website in order to have the guy maybe sharing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, I am. It's very simple, but I'm still very proud of that uh, of that short movie. Um, oh my gosh, as you should be. It's it's incredible, and just to hear the circumstance behind it, you know, even at such a, a low point of in a point of uncertainty, you know, you are still doing everything to, to be an artist. You know, there's just like that passion, that fire that lives within you. I think it was like my, uh, go-to place to stay. Yeah. Okay. Let's work on that. So I'm not thinking about something else. And uh, little by little, it just, I was, things got better and I was taking time off to, um, to work on it. Mm. That's incredible. Wow. Incredible. I mean, I feel like you are no stranger to remote work, you know, even on Age of Sail, even now on Glenn Keane's Over the Moon, you are based in Vancouver when Glenn is in LA, right? Um, 
I think I had like the largest uh, experience of remote recently. Edge of say, I was in Montreal, you were all in LA, and uh, Google was in Mountain View in the Bay. So I feel like that once once a month or twice or once every two months we were gathering uh, in Mountain View. <clears throat> But I, I'm also very impressed and uh, thankful that Jenny, John, and Google really trust me because and Kevin Chromosphere. Because I think it was a it's a huge commitment to say oh let's hire this person that is like uh, at the other part of the state. Uh, we are on the west coast and she's in the east coast. There are three hours um, time difference, and uh, we'll trust that person to make uh, to run the every day. So Edge of Sale was the first really big project happening remotely. And I feel like it went really well. We were all connected on Slack, talking a lot. There was channels for art, channels for CG stuff, for rig, for animation, for prod stuff. And um, it went it went well. And uh, then when I Edge of Cell was finished, uh, I took some time off. But Jenny, who came uh, to Montreal to present me, Glenn, and proposed me to work on over the moon. Um, I was in Montreal and they were in LA and they didn't know at that time what studio will do the CG. So it was uncertain at that time. But we started to work together. I, I wasn't the production designer. I was just like a visitor artist at first. And um, <clears throat> after a couple of weeks, they proposed me to be production designer. I say yes. And uh, we... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's like a way longer, more fun story about how I met Glenn for the first time. Wait, wasn't there like a shovel or something? <laughs> It was Jenny. Jenny just said like, oh, I'm coming for 36 hours in Montreal. That would be cool to have a coffee together. Very and she was smooth. she was and she was texting me that uh, when she was in the plane about to land in Montreal and I was like it was a Sunday of the Black Friday so I was completely in casual outfit almost uh, days pajamas and I was buying a snow shovel because it was about to snow in Montreal <laughs> and uh, she came at the coffee at 6 p.m. and uh, I was like hey hi and behind her there was Glenn Glenn Keane <laughs> And I was like, hey, hi, I've got a snow shovel with me. <laughs> and uh, I think he was trying to understand my English. And he was thinking, oh, she's not saying that she's got a snow shovel with her. She's, I think she's saying something else. But we, we sat in a booth and there was definitely me, my girlfriend and the snow shovel on the bench. <laughs> That's incredible. That's unforgettable, man. And uh, so, yeah, so started in Montreal, they were in LA, and a um, couple of months later, they decided that uh, Sony, Sony, Sony Imageworks will uh, do the CG. So Glenn, Jenny, and the production was in LA, in the Netflix buildings. I was in Montreal, Sony Imageworks, as an office. I mean, they have a studio in LA, they have SPA, and they have some uh, SPI, which is Sony Imageworks. And, but uh, the workforce is really in Vancouver. So I proposed to, um, to Jenny and Glenn to move to Vancouver because in my mind, a production designer needs to be on site. I mean, I didn't... I had a background of uh, 3D. Uh, I did like a 3D school, so I know a couple of technique, techniques and stuff. And I thought, oh, I need to be on site. I need to be able to discuss with the person and I need to... They need to understand me. They need to see me. They need to see how I'm reacting. They need to understand my vocabulary. And because as the production is going, it's getting more... Like the rush is coming as well. You've got more, less and less time and more and more stuff to do. And at the end of the production, you have less time to be... Not polite, but to maybe... Instead of taking one hour to say something, you just need to say it in five minutes. And this type of communication can only happen fast if people know each other in a way that it's constructive. So I was like, yeah, let's move to, to Vancouver. It's a change of scenery. At least I will be on the same time zone. And um, so, yes. But when I moved, we didn't finish the pre-production. 
So I moved in Vancouver, CG was starting, but we were still finishing um, art at that time. And even the art, uh, like the team, our team was like completely exploded on earth. There was a free person in Shanghai, there was one guy in Netherlands, there was uh, two to three person in Montreal, I was in Vancouver, and there was two to three person in LA as well. So I feel like that production team was amazing. Wow, so how did you keep everyone together, everyone focused and, you know, part of that, that core unit? Chatting a lot. Um, for the person in China, uh, the window to discuss with them is, like, very short. It was at uh, 5 p.m. Um, to be able to catch up with them. Uh, but the good thing is when you're giving a brief at 6 p.m., it's only the beginning of the day for them. So... Every time that you're waking up the next day, it's like a surprise because new artwork are coming and you're like, yeah, let's see. <laughs> that is kind of amazing. <laughs> and uh, Edwin was in Europe, so there was like a kind of a routine on how to check with people. Uh, you have the whole day to check the art coming from China, but you can start your day by checking with a person from Europe, then Montreal, and then person in LA. And by the end of the day, you can catch up with the person in China and you roll over. That is a whirlwind day. Wow. I mean, for so not too much has been released at this point about Over the Moon. Um, what can you tell us about the story? The story? I can't say anything. Uh, <laughs> okay, we will wait. But can you say when it's going to be released and how it's going to be released? So the initial um, thought was uh, in October for the Moon Festival in, in China, in theater. And in uh, November, I think October, November for Netflix. And uh, yesterday... Uh, so Netflix had like a little talk and they say like, okay, with COVID, there's one thing that is not changing, the release of The Crown season four and Over the Moon. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, so we are as important as The Crown season four, yeah. <laughs> Those are the only two. <laughs> no, it's like, uh, I need to praise uh, Sony. Uh, because they moved, we are, so we didn't finish yet lighting, we are finishing in three weeks. And we have a pretty heavy schedule, we are at 70 shots by week in lighting. And um, <clears throat> in order to do that, uh, you need the workforce to, you need to basically not have any impact from the COVID. And they moved in one week, like more 150 or 70 CG artists to work from home for our movie. CFX, FX, uh, lighting, and even provide materials and a calibrated screen for person who don't have that at home. So I think that we had an impact on a week. We did like half quota, but then the next week it was um, back to normal and uh, everybody's working from home. The reviews are happening every day, every afternoon. I'm like spending three hours in lighting review. And it's almost like as if being at the studio. I'm like very uh, impressed by that. The HR people are very committed to the health. And the, uh, how to say, they are sending stuff, emails saying like, oh, make sure that you're exercising, make sure that you've got a good posture, that you are... Resting your eyes or resting your elbow, make sure that your chair is at the... I mean, it's a lot of precaution. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's, that's good because as a person, some person likes to work in open space with a lot of people and some other person likes to be like alone, not alone, but to be in quiet place and not talk a lot. Uh, and working from home remotely can be heavy for some person and... Sony is like definitely uh, supporting them. So uh, the vibe is really good, even if it's like uh, a lot of work to do. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, it's it's definitely interesting, you know, transitioning to work from home. And for me personally, I feel like I I have to stop myself from working 24 hours, you know, or like every waking hour, you know, you have to set those boundaries. But I wanted to hear if you have any tips, Celine, for working from home 
you know, keeping that healthy lifestyle balance? I think in a way it's uh, getting, getting a routine. So, and it's like, depending of every people, some people are into sports, some people are into stretching in the morning, some people are like, I need my cup of coffee. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, definitely me too. Um, I like to get this kind of, uh, first of all, if you can have like your desk and computer not in your living room, if you can afford it, like if you have a house that you've got a separate room to get your computer screen extra materials, that's great, that's better. Um, because in London I had this issue, I was like flat sharing with uh, eight person in the same flat, so I had just one room and my desk was actually 20 centimeters next to my bed. So every time that you are like walking and got like, oh, the bed is just next to me. It's it so was, tempting. <laughs> it's, it's very tempting to do a break and not work. And the opposite is also happening. You're like, oh, I will just continue to work. And you start to shift the when you are eating or you are not doing like a break right now or stuff like that. So I'm trying to get a routine of having a break at lunch, uh, making sure that at least, which I'm not respecting because I'm eating in front of my computer. No. But <laughs> <laughs> at least uh, production is not putting any meeting between 12 to 1 most of the time. So it's like uh, forcing you to, uh, to take a break. Um, and uh, yeah, having, I'm walking around my neighborhood in the morning, it's like a pretty quiet uh, neighborhood, streets are empty, so I'm just doing like 15-20 minutes outside before going back, starting my day. Um, I'm, I, I'm working a bit too much at the moment, <laughs> so, but I'm trying to offset the routine to that too much work. That's good. So I'm like starting at 7 a.m., so I'm walking before, starting at 7, and then I'm Working until 12, 12.30, I'm eating and I'm going outside, doing my little uh, 15, 20 minutes walk, going back inside and going through the work review paint overs things. And uh, at 6, 6.30, I'm stopping. Oh, that's so good. Man, I need to take a chapter from your book. But and... I feel like it's because I'm getting old as well. Whatever. It's like 10 years earlier, like when I was uh, 25, stuff like that, I could work all night and now I'm just getting tired because you need to be focused. As a production designer, every time that we're asking a question, you basically need to have the right answer right away. So um, you need to be focused all the time. You need to find smart, efficient solution. And uh, you need to be confident for like everyone that is waiting for an answer and a guidance. So at the end of the day, there's one thing that you don't want to do. It's taking any other decision of your life. When someone is asking you what you want to eat, you're like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I totally feel you. Oh man, that, that happens a lot here where we're just... You know, my boyfriend and I are very focused on work right now. And when it comes to lunch or dinner, it's just like we don't care what we eat. It's just like whatever is in the fridge, just eat it. <laughs> but cooking would be a good way to cut and have this life-work balance because it will oblige you to focus for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes on something else. It's so true that just to, you know, achieve that balance now that work is at home. I think that uh, when I was on Edge of Sales, sometimes I, I was getting, not frustrated, but um, my partner was working in a studio and uh, that was like five to seven or happy hours. Mm. But when you're working remotely, there's no happy hours. So you're like, oh, I wish I could uh, have a drink with my team. And, I know. Uh, it's not... But I feel like that with the COVID people were desperately missing the happy hour, so we're doing this kind of crazy 20 person in the meeting, and uh. everybody has got their <laughs> cup of coffee, drink, or whatever, and cheering through the webcam. 
I think it's like one thing that has been developed through Over the Moon. You're almost in relationship with all the people that you're talking to every day. Mm. So Maddie for the production side and Glenn. And um, when the production designer and the director are together, they are exchanging, ex- exchanging sketch. And uh, when you're working remotely, it's kind of either not possible. But you can share your screen, so you can easily mock I can mock up some stuff on mm. Photoshop, share my screen and Glenn see it. But Glenn is not working on Santic. And he's definitely not sharing the screen. So he was doing some sketch on his uh, little notepad and he was putting them next to the webcam. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Glenn, one step further. It's blurry, one step further. Move up, move down, move left, move right. And um, so it, it gave us like some pretty funny stuff things like that where also for one sequence you needed to revert to invert any sketches so he was taking his iphone putting the invert mode on his sketch in order to have the blacks into white and white into blacks and then he was trying to put that in front of the webcam for me to see through his phone the sketch that he did i love it <laughs> and uh, also the other thing was uh when he was doing some to the animation and that's a spoiler <gasps> But he needed to. He wanted to show me how it was doing. So he was flipping the images in front of the webcam for me, and was trying to explain it. So you see between this one and this one. Oh man, with like a down shooter camera, even does he have that set up? Uh, it doesn't. Sometimes Maddie's like filming above his shoulder with a phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was really talking to the webcam, like as if I was behind his back. Like you can see. I love it. Oh man, you have to get so creative right now. You know, I just, that was a question that I had for you is like, how does it feel, you know, being so far distance wise from Glenn, but you know, you both are kind of dividing and conquering as you reach the finish line of this film. I I wonder if it was, we didn't talk about Jenny Rim, but we Mm. should talk about Jenny Rim because she's a producer of Age of Sail and uh, she's also the producer of uh, Over the Moon. And uh, we should just like assume that she's an awesome producer. But she's also an awesome person. That she's really getting the needs and necessity of people as human and the importance of alchemy between people too. Mm. And I think it's what she did when we when she said that she was coming to Montreal and she didn't mention Glenn. She really just wanted me to meet Glenn as a person and she wanted Glenn to meet me as a person too and uh, move aside the professional or... Like the formality of it. Formality of it because you need to... Ultimately, it's just like a bunch of persons working together and sometimes with the stress and the... Maybe the pressure, uh, it's important that people are understanding each other and are complementary. Mm. And uh, this first meeting with Glenn in Montreal was really about that. It was to see the alchemy and see how he's a great animator, he's an amazing animator, but for me it's not really an animator, it's more like an amazing artist and person. And... Um, when we are talking together, doing reviews, it's not really director, production designer. It's more like two insane kids that are running everywhere and there's production chasing us. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like, you know, Jenny Rem is the ultimate matchmaker, in my opinion. She just has this way of pairing people together and just creating these relationships for life. And she always puts the human side of everything first. And that's something that, you know, I always want to have in the back of my head on any project. You know, she's just so wonderful at facilitating all of that. And truly, Over the Moon is just an incredible team overall. And Celine just, you know, I've had the privilege of seeing the work that you've done on Over the Moon, and I cannot wait you've for the world. You've seen some uh, spoilers. <laughs> I have seen some spoilers, and I am just, like, in awe of of all the incredible work you've done, and I know it's been, um, you know, challenging in all the right ways and just, like, breathing um, 
so much fresh air into this world and yeah I wish we could talk more about it but maybe when the film is out <laughs> we can do a follow-up cast <laughs> it's also like a, a tons of a great creative story about uh, over the moon and just the fact that I did a talk at Lightbox and I start, I started the talk saying Glenn spent more time at Disney than I spent time on Earth. He worked for 38 years at Disney where I started on Over the Moon I was 33 or 34. So it's like a generation apart and yet we are doing a Glenn King movie. I would, I'd like to call it Glenn King 2.0. It's a conversion of Glenn. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing, Celine. I mean, just thinking about your path, you know, I'd love to take a step back and hear a little bit more about your overall journey. You know, did you always see yourself as a production designer? Not really. I, I did a school that was trying to f- form us as directors. And I think that... When I graduated, I really wanted to direct movies because it's what you're doing, you direct a movie. <clears throat> and uh, the economic crisis happened and uh, I think it's just like mixed up, like it's shuffling everything in your head because you're like, what can I do? What do, what do I want to do? What is, what is it possible to do? How can I pay my rent? How can I survive? How can I still be creative? I was like so many things happening when you're young and there's also this big uh, call for... So I was in Europe and in Europe it's kind of different from US. I feel like that in US and maybe that's my perception and perspective but I feel like that it's an achievement to be part of a studio. So you're staying 20 years in a big studio and yeah, my goal are achieved. Achieved. And uh, I don't think it's like that for Europe because there's no big studio as US. And maybe you are doing more several tiny jobs that are building up your, who you are actually, your, your CV, but also as a person you are testing different stuff, different type of movies, um, cartoony one, realistic one, commercials, uh, featurette, pilot for TV series. So I was pretty much in that uh, part for four or five years where I, I was like compositors. I was uh, as compositors on the commercials that Kevin directed from LA. And it's how I met Kevin in 2010 or 11. I oh, was a I compositor. Oh. I was a compositor at Passion Pictures. I was doing the compositing of his personal uh, commercial. And uh, I have been an editor. I, I was like a director at Passion Pictures. It didn't really took off uh, but I did a bunch of different things and countdown was like I did it for me I was thinking maybe if I'm doing a lot of images in colors maybe one day I will be able to work in a pre-production or in features and it's what happened because I finished I finished countdown and uh, and someone proposed me a job on the little print it was not a production designer it was color painter so doing color stuff but I was already happy at that time because I was yeah finally a transition from commercials where I was losing my soul completely I was like ah when you're trying to when you're trying to achieve art through selling cars and stuff you're like no that's not the good way Let's try something else. Wow. So I didn't realize that, that you started in a different role on the local Oh, completely, completely. And uh, at that time, I was still trying on the side to develop um, personal projects. I've always been interested in uh, directing, but more like independent movies, I will say. Maybe less um, codes or formatted. And uh, the little prints happened. I started as color painters and little by little through the production I became co-production designer with uh, Lou Romano. And it's also so funny because Lou subscribed to Vimeo because he wanted to send me a message uh, about Countdown at that time. 
So, Lou, which was like someone that I was admiring when I was at school, he did, like with his incredibles, light bulbs and color bulbs, I was like, oh, oh that's man. so cool. And so he sent me a message on Vimeo, on Vimeo about countdown saying like, oh, that's amazing. And then he asked like a bunch of After Effects questions. How are you doing that? How are you doing that? Because he's, he was developing a short movie on his side. So it's how I met Lou by talking about After Effects. And uh, two, two years later, he's coming on The Little Prince he's, uh, as production designer. So I felt that we were pretty much aligned on, um, on everything that was happening. The movie moved to Montreal. Lou couldn't come to Montreal, so they Mark uh, asked if I could take the uh, co-production design, mm. which I say yes. It's uh, basically like production designer is a really weird job because you need to be creative in the first third of the production. You need to do images, you need to support the story, and then you need to battle a bit with the production in order <laughs> to have um, enough time or money to do what you want to do. And then there's the traduction into 3D mm. of the concept and the design. So you're a bit a manager, a leader, you're a bit an artist, but you're also a bit of a politician in a way, mm. in order to make sure that you get the best of everyone working in the same direction. And uh, compromising, you're compromising a bit with the director when you need to do something that is maybe not supported by art in order to, to do a better message or story point. You need to compromise with the techniques when you don't have enough time or money to achieve the concept that you had. And uh, sometimes it's uh, also trying to find a solution by art on how, like, between the director and the CG. Man, that's... Incredible. So once you you started to rap on The Little Prince, is that when you started to fall in love with production design? <laughs> I, I actually was out of job for... Uh, well, I took a one-way ticket for South America because I was disgusted by animation. <laughs> I, oh so man, I, I need to hear about that. <laughs> So I took a one-way ticket for Ushuaia, which is like the southern city in the world. Wow. And uh, I decided to just go north <laughs> by, by work and by bus. And uh, after four months, I reached Quito in Ecuador, and I was broke. <laughs> uh, so I came back to Canada. And uh, it's, where I, it's when I tried to find another job. Mm. And there was no, there's no really um, pre-production happening in Canada. It's mostly like a tax credit to make movies, mm. but not that much to create uh, art. So I didn't really find uh, pre-production to do in Canada. And The Little Prince had some challenging released in US. So the movie was not released for a while until Netflix came save the party and uh, release the movie on Netflix. Wow. So wow. I feel like that the fruits of the seed were not really happening. So I was doing a bit of commercials, a bit of everything, but nothing really important. And I did um, several small projects or bigger ones, but not really... It was, it, they, are, they don't have like a place in my art, like uh, Age of Sale or The Little Prince, or Over the Moon. And, um, and after this kind of period, everything happened at the same time. I was working for Sony, for HT3, and uh, Kevin called me for a job sale, and uh, Back to the Moon happened with Nexus. That was also Google Spotlight Stories at the same time of Age of Sale. And Man. then I roll into uh, Over the Moon right away. When it rains, it pours, but that's a good rain. <laughs> <laughs> It's like ups and downs. I, I think I'm the proof on the... It's not always white. It's not always black. It's just like white and black all the time. And uh, you just need to go with the flow. 
I love that. I love that philosophy so much because there's really, there's always so much uncertainty about what's next, but you just have this faith that everything's going to fall into place and it absolutely will. But, you know, you are one of the most passionate people I've ever met. <laughs> I think Glenn can, uh, can say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find incredibly inspiring. Like even the trip that you took to South America just to kind of, you know, have a break and, and get that clarity again about your path. I love that. I think it's like something important uh, for myself. Um, and, you know, because we know each other, but every time after a job sale, I was taking two months and a half off to travel to China, Japan, South Asia. And Jenny was not aware. So when she came to Montreal and proposed me over the moon, I was like, Yeah, but I'm taking two and two months and a half off. So, but you wrapped around uh, a research trip, right? And in, so, one, <laughs> so it happened that they were going for one week research trip in China at the same moment that I was already in China. But what I mean, and also still a good point for Jenny, um, she could they could have said, well, the mm. offer is is not up if you're taking a break you need to roll off immediately on over the moon on I don't know because it's now that it's happening. Right. But I think that she felt that it was necessary for me to take a break, just to travel, be in other situations, meet other culture, be inspired. And um, the good point happened that it was in China, so I really was surrounded by daily life. I'm not like when I'm traveling, I'm not like staying at luxurious hotel or stuff like that I'm traveling with a backpack I've got like three uh, panties one trouser two t-shirts and I'm washing them every night that's incredible <laughs> and, uh, I don't know how you do it <laughs> I just like to get back to the basis of uh, experiencing as much as possible as the local people so I'm taking like hundreds of pictures of anything It can be just like a pair of shoes on the ground and that I just found amazingly beautiful or people at a coffee, people eating or whatever. And um, cut to six months or one year later when we were in animation and we had to animate crowds mm. in Over the Moon. So I don't know if like people know, but Over the Moon is based on the Chinese tale of Chang'e. So everything is happening in a small uh, village in China. Um, so when you we needed to animate crowd, the crowd in a small village in China can't be the same as a crowd in New York or US or in Europe. So the footage that I took during my research trip of three months <laughs> were really helpful because there was a tons of posing reference of people, the way that they are sitting, the way they wow. are talking to each other. The fact that they are never walking empty-handed, they always have bags of something, or they are eating, they are drinking. Um, people are entering the street in a different, the outside differently than how we are experiencing it. It's just like a joy for them to be outside, to have um, those colors or those vegetations. Um, so at the end of the day, they allow me to go two months away. And uh, in reward, they got like hundreds of photo references, video references for animation, but also they had like a production designer who was inspired and ready to get back to work. And also, I felt a lot of pressure to be as authentic as possible. Mm. Because nowadays, it's really easy to get uh, a story from a foreign country and just to appropriate the culture without really thinking much about it. So I was really always really cautious of trying to respect this culture and try to say like, no, they will never do that like that. Um, and it was also a luck for us to have three Chinese artists in Shanghai. Most of the time you are, you've got the work from outside and you're bringing it here and mm. you are redoing the work or you are adjusting it, where on Over the Moon it was the opposite. We are doing a bunch of stuff, and every time that it was touching architecture, houses, foundations, the way that things are built, I was like 
sending the sketches and I was like, hey, girls, because it was three girls, how do you feel about that? And among those three girls, there was a girl, Wang Rei, who had like a PhD in a, or a master in architecture. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> she was amazing. like very, very detailed on how wood foundations are constructed on houses, why it's possible, why it's not possible. And um, recently they saw like a screening, working progress screening of the movie, and they were like, oh, we cried. It's like one of the first movies where we we feel like that it's China and uh, it makes me so happy and at least relieved that oh my god <sighs> that is incredible but I mean that just speaks to you know how open you were to getting the you know to make sure that the authenticity was there and that you're hearing you know everyone's voice and I just think that that points back to what a great leader you are to to make sure to care about those details you know it's it's so crucial um, it really helps Make the film feel whole. Can't wait for everyone to see it now. Oh my because gosh. We're, because we're just talking about the normal part. We're not talking about the... <laughs> I know! <laughs> second part that is completely <laughs> crazy. I can say that. I can say that. I can say one thing. Okay. For the second part of the movie, when we started, Glenn told me, Oh, maybe you're too young, but there's this music band called Pink Floyd. And they've, and, they, and they've done this uh, album, Dark Side of the Moon. And you know, the CD cover, I was like, Glenn, Glenn, yeah, I know what is this. I know this band, I know the CD cover album you're talking about. So it's like the prism on the black background. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the white beam is released as a rainbow. Right. So it was like, okay, so for the second part in Over the Moon, I want it to be as strong as a Pink Floyd CD cover. <laughs> that is, an, that's a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> there's so much simplicity there. It's such a statement. It's uh, simple, very colorful. And I think it's also one challenge nowadays in animation. How are you getting inspired? Where I feel like that we are too much referencing ourselves as mm. a reference. I've experienced that in school where the former movies were the reference of the f newer uh, students. So you are not really refreshing the um, creativity. You're just like taking something that already has been digested by someone and you're trying to digest it a second time. Mm. So it's really losing the essence of what it was uh, originally. So I think I tried to, for the second part, I was like, okay, let's try to not take any references that already exist and try to build something new, wow. which was a challenge and difficult because every time an artist was coming on board, he was like, so what is a reference? What is a movie? And I was like, yeah, there's no movie like that. I was like, no, 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 but okay, but what artist? I'm like, yeah, no. Let's wow. Let's try to think like Miyazaki is building a world and he has got a concept and then just like a consequence of his concept that is evolving. Mm. So uh, I don't know. I hope. I hope it's successful. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that, that you took that approach because I was curious, uh, you know, if you tend to gravitate towards live action or... Or animation? I, photography. Photography, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm, like a, I'm a huge lover of uh, photographers. And um, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I, it was my mom was in love with cinema. So she made me discover very soon, when I was very young, um, a lot of movies, like US, uh, American movies, French movies. And when I got older, I started to look more toward Asian movies. Mm. Um, Japanese, Kurosawa, Mizoguchi. And more and more, I'm trying to look toward Chinese movies, Taiwanese, and um, South American as much as possible. Because what I like in those is the fact that uh, in all of them, there's a universality to it. Um, if you're just like looking at American movie, 
if you're American or if you're just looking at French movies, if I'm French, I will just fall again into a pattern of referencing myself of what I already know and mm. it's kind of becoming a code and it's very difficult to find um, not creativity but to find fresh f- fresh things or French, fresh way to talk about a subject. But if you remove the codes and the formats and you look at tons of dif- foreign movies, different, there's always like something very uh, essential that is in all of them. And I think it's more interesting to take that core and try to think from the, from the foundation of that and then uh, digest it or pr- reproducing it in a way that it's fitting your story. Or your vision. I don't know if it was clear. Oh no, absolutely. I thought that was beautifully stated. Yeah, no, because I think it's it's always a challenge, right? Like, how do you create something new in a world where you feel like everything has been done? And animation, it's like uh, I feel like it's very difficult. Absolutely. There are so many animated movies that are made every day, every every year, and uh, it's happening faster and faster and faster. So you need to have uh, ideas really quickly. And the most efficient way to to do something is to take reference of what's already existing. That's true. That's so true. On that note, do you feel like there are trends that are popular in animation right now that you're excited about? (laughs) (laughs) Or is there, better Um, yet, is there something that you haven't seen? Everybody was uh, excited about Spider-Man. And... um, that's an awesome movie and I was really excited but I think that beyond the visual I was excited to what it could for me it was a seed and I'm still uh, waiting for the fruits mm-hmm. again because I'm like okay so it was one of a kind of the movie it was very different um, storytelling was amazing the layout was amazing visual was beyond amazing but uh, what about the next one? What about the next Spider-Man that is not Spider-Man? And for me, it was I Lost My Body. Mm. Uh, Jeremy, I, I was looking at, I was watching Jeremy's short movie when I was in school in France, like 10, 12 years ago. He was already like in our student channels of exchanging. Um, it's, a, it's a very European way of producing movies. You're only producing the animatics that you have done and validated, so the story is locked, uh, animatic is locked and you producing that. Um, what I liked and loved in I Lost My Body, it's, I was feeling it, I was feeling the movie and like, even if it's not respecting some codes of filming, you just like experience the love between the two persons even if they're not facing each other like she's in her studio and he's downstairs eating her, her pizza and you're like oh my god it's real life and I think I'm exciting to those kind of movies in animation nowadays um, visually trends are coming and going away uh, something that is getting trendy usually starts in commercial and if it's Lucky gets into like a features, um, but I kind of hope to not say that I'm excited by a trend. I That's just fair. want to be always excited by something that is new and make me discover this new thing. Well, that's going to be over the moon when everyone sees it. <laughs> We're going to be referencing this movie. I, I, uh, I hope. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I wanted, um, I think we're running close to time here, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what's next? You've done so, so much already, and it's, it's hard to think about, you know, kind of topping yourself, so to speak, but <laughs> I'm really curious where you see yourself in the next five to ten years. Five to ten years? Uh, or is that too much planning? I'm a planner, uh, so... <laughs> you can ask me in, like, two weeks. Maybe maybe I can tell you I will be at home in self-isolation. <laughs> um, I know that it's a question that is 
typically coming back or coming into interviews where do you see yourself in five to ten years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, I can't answer that because if like one year ago you would have told me that I would add to my CV finishing a movie in a rush in self-isolation because there's a pandemic in the world I would have said like yeah no it's not happening <laughs> <laughs> maybe a better way to phrase this question is What is, is there anything that you haven't tried that you really want to do? I think I still want to do like um, Kubrick in animation. Oh my God, I am there for that. <laughs> you know that I'm developing something on the side that mm -hmm. is like taking ages to develop. And, uh, well, it's hard with a full-time job, yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, very, I think it's very hard to finance uh, mm. because it's very different from what it's made nowadays. But... Um, doing something different with a more live action approach to an animation but not necessarily visually it's more the way that a film is filmed edit cut together to make you feel something mm. and it's bringing i know it's the end and we need to wrap but it's like the bigger discussion of artists versus commercial versus paying the rent versus be able to look at yourself in the mirror every day. <laughs> I, think so that every, I think that every artist are like struggling with all those things that are too many for two ends. So you're like, ah, I need to pay my rent and uh, I also want to take some risks of trying new stuff. But in order to get a stable job, stability, I need to be in a bigger studio where maybe we're doing just normal things. Mm. And um, I would say that maybe the good balance is to do a bit of each, um, uh, not a lot of times, but just like uh, do six months on one thing, try to do two months of something else and experience things. Don't try to achieve something too big, but just like small exercise where it will give you a taste of, oh, I tried that. Um, it's like very different, it can work and then go back to something that is more normal so it will make you even more appreciate mm. something different. That's really, like, really great advice actually. I, I love that you approach everything with this sense of curiosity. I'm really fortunate, like working on a feature, it's like very exhausting because you're, I've always worked for two to three years as production designer So when you're finishing your movie, you're just like, oh my God, I'm dry, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't want to do anything. And uh, it's a good time to jump on maybe shorter project. Or uh, take a break, even, if you can. <laughs> take a break, <laughs> definitely. But even maybe think about what would be the next one, what what will be the proposition, and uh, what do I, do I want to experiment something else? Do I want to experiment uh, AR? Do mm -hmm. I want to... Um, Trying to be versatile. Versatile? Is it an English word? Absolutely. <laughs> That is you. <laughs> That is totally you. Celine, I could keep this conversation going all day. I just feel like you are going to continue to inspire so many artists out there. And I am so grateful for you taking the time today to talk to us about your experience. And For our listeners, you know, how can we keep track of your work? Are there social media handles that we can um, follow? I'm really bad at that. <laughs> But I've got uh, two Instagrams. I've got uh, one for photo, uh, which is Groovy Sushi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I've got another one for art, which is uh, Céline Derumeau Dash. Art. We didn't talk too much about your photography, but you are an incredible photographer. And you know, looking at your adventures, I think you you recently went to Cuba, right? Yes, uh, around uh, Christmas. Oh, just in time, <laughs> just in time before the lockdown. <laughs> Man, what is the first thing you're gonna do when this quarantine is over? Have you thought about that? Uh, I don't know. I was supposed to go in Asia for three months after oh. over the moon. <laughs> And so, once again, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Well, I was supposed to be in China in six months. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. 
Maybe um, we can start with going to a restaurant. I, <laughs> I think it will be a slice of pizza and a coffee at the beach. I love that. So normal. I love that. I know. I think everyone is eager to get back to that. I'm glad that you're staying safe, Celine. That's the most important thing. Um, and I can't believe you only have a few weeks left on this film. Ah. <laughs> I know. We're gonna... um, Let's catch up when the movie is released. Yes, let's have a happy hour <laughs> on Zoom. And uh, let's maybe discuss about all the questions that people will have, seeing like, what the heck happened <laughs> in that movie? What? <laughs> I can't wait to see it, Celine. Um, I'm going to send good vibes your way. And yeah, you are, you're at the finish line. It's going to be incredible. The world is going to love this film. And we should do a follow-up once it's released so we can hear more about your process. That would be amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Tonko House. <laughs> Thank you so much, Celine. I'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye.